My name is Charles, the lead pastor here. Welcome to the Zoom Sunday service at the river. We're so glad you could join us today. Well, we are just two days away from 2020 elections. I suspect it is the most important election of my lifetime. So, I would like to offer some perspective. And I am now speaking as a private citizen, not representing our church. The church does not endorse or oppose any candidate. And I cannot tell you who to vote for or against. That's not the culture of our church anyway. But I would like to offer my own observations and perspective as the election approaches. Having said that, as you vote, the first thing I'd like to say is please keep in mind the COVID crisis. Because every president is tested by a national crisis. George Bush by 9-11, Obama by Great Recession, and now the COVID is the greatest national crisis I have experienced personally affecting every aspect of life. And what has this testing of American leadership revealed? New England Journal of Medicine is a venerable institution. It is not part of left-wing media. It is considered by many to be the leading medical authority in the world. It was founded in 1812 and it has never taken a political position in its 200-year history, not even during the Civil War. It has now. In an editorial titled, Dying in a Leadership Vacuum, the journal says the following, Our leaders have failed the test of leadership. They have taken a crisis and turned it into a tragedy. The magnitude of this failure is astounding. The United States came into this crisis with enormous advantages, yet our leaders have largely chosen to ignore and even denigrate experts. Our current leadership takes pride in the economy, but while much of the world has opened up to some extent, the United States still suffers from disease rates that have prevented many businesses from reopening with a resultant loss of hundreds of billions of dollars and millions of jobs. Anyone else who recklessly squandered lives and money in this way would be suffering legal consequences. Our leaders have largely claimed immunity for their actions, but this election gives us the power to render judgment. We should not abet them and enable the deaths of thousands more Americans by allowing them to keep their jobs. What a definitive judgment from the foremost medical journal in the world. President Trump defends his leadership by pointing to his early action to shut down travel from China. But New England Journal of Medicine points out how countries like South Korea, Singapore, Taiwan have successfully controlled COVID much better than us. And South Korea never shut down travel with China and yet they have totally contained COVID throughout the crisis, saving both 
their lives and economy. The daily count is usually under 100. That's it. My daughter Clara is in Korea right now. She says everything is normal. Everybody does everything just like before, even though the crisis started in that region. How did they manage that? Clearly, shutting down travel with China was never a big factor. Rather, it was encouraging everyone to wear masks by contact tracing, by following scientific advice, things that President Trump mocks at his rallies even now. He calls mask wearing a sign of political correctness, when in fact, that saves lives. Such failure in leadership has cost America over 200 lives and millions of jobs that could have been saved with simple measures that other countries have demonstrated as effective. What is even more alarming are the interviews with Bob Woodward. President Trump says on tape that he knew how dangerous COVID was back in February, but he intentionally said the opposite in public because he didn't want the economy to suffer, because that would be bad for his re-election, I presume. But he told his Wall Street buddies who made billions by shorting the market. To us though, he said COVID was a hoax cooked up by media and the Democrats. And sure enough, right-wing media like Fox News Entertainment and Rush Limbaugh, respectively number one viewership in TV and radio news, pushed this lie very hard. Many millions believed them and some of them died as a result, leaving behind Facebook posts about how they were deceived. Even now, President Trump says, we are turning the corner. This virus is just about to disappear momentarily, and the reality is we are seeing record number of cases and rising rapidly. There is too much lying going on. The fact checkers estimate that President Trump has lied over 20,000 times in the last three and a half years. He has lied at a rate of about 20 times a day. Lies have come so fast, so much, every day, that it's become normalized. And that is not okay, because habitual lies can turn deadly during national crisis. It destroys trust in the government. It eats away at the fabric of our collective life together. I know many people feel that, well, all politicians lie, so what's the big deal? It should be a big deal to people of faith. We must call out our political leaders when they lie. We cannot accept normalizing of deception from the White House because God is not found in deception. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and no be no. Anything more than this comes from the devil. Perhaps it's not surprising, given that Trump began his political career with a lie, advancing the conspiracy theory that Obama is not an American citizen. It's called the birtherism. He claimed he had definitive proof announced the date of revelation that would shake the foundation of our country, and he never did. It's like those religious con artists who claim the end of the world will come on such and such date, 
So sell everything and give it to them. And he never does. The interesting thing is, they never admit they were wrong. And they do it again and again, like Jehovah's Witness and Pat Robertson, who predicted the end of the world multiple times in the past. It never came. But they always succeed in deceiving millions of people again and again for their own gain. Why do people believe such obvious lies? Because people want to. This is called cognitive dissonance, as I talked about a few weeks ago. When facts and beliefs collide, we tend to distort facts to fit our already existing core beliefs to defend our culture our way of life, because of our need to be in the right. And there is a deep fault line underlying American culture, our way of life, that goes back to the country's original sin, slavery. There is no longer slavery in America, but it has left a cultural legacy, an invisible caste system that has rich white men at the top, and black people towards the bottom. Birtherism would never have gained traction if Obama was white. The fact that a black man became the president of America caused a backlash, fueling the anxiety that white people are getting displaced in America. In the midst of all this, Trump has successfully tapped into racial and cultural anxieties of diminishing white privileges of our time. That's why when Nazi flags flew over Charlottesville, when white supremacists killed, he said there are very fine people on both sides. He said at a rally recently, suburban women, please, please like me. I saved your damn neighborhood. He was referring to his actions to roll back regulations to ensure people of color can get fair treatment when trying to move into white neighborhood. And this does make some people happy. There have been several high-quality studies on why people support President Trump. They suggest it's not economic anxieties, actually. Instead, it's more about racial and cultural anxieties that predict support for Trump. For example, Public Religion Research Institute says in a report, financially troubled voters in white working class actually preferred Clinton over Trump. Instead, it was cultural anxiety. Those who are afraid of racial, cultural displacement who overwhelmingly supported Trump. And the problem is, Trump stokes the divisions and fault lines of our country, even though it eats away at the foundation of our collective life. This must be called out because our country was founded with one incredible sentence, the first sentence of Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. What beautiful declaration! Amen and hallelujah! This is God's movement in America that will not fail. 
This is the truth that marches on. But there has always been opposition to this great declaration of faith. Civil war being a prime example, but also Jim Crow laws, sundown counties, etc., etc. In fact, America can be understood as a long struggle to live up to our founding ideal and those who resist it. I will speak more on this historical movement of God in America in the next sermon, but for today, let me say, as Christians, we must fight this attempt to resist our founding ideal because it is at the heart of our Christian faith. This is not a side issue. This is the essential issue because God's love shown on the cross is unconditional. It makes no distinction based on color of our skin or our gender, our culture, no characteristic of ours. The Bible declares there is no Jew or Gentile, free or slave, man or woman in Christ Jesus. This is such an incredible declaration. Nobody thought this way 2,000 years ago. The world has always categorized and ranked groups of people according to gender, faith, race, economic status, but Christ came to blow it all up. Hallelujah! This is the gospel. Anyone and everyone is given unconditional worth and sacred dignity by the cross for Christ's death has nothing to do with our characteristics. The Bible says God proves what is unconditional love for us in this. Christ died for us while we were unbelieving, unrighteous sinners. It is not because of our faith or our righteousness that makes us deserving of Christ's death. No, our salvation and worth does not proceed from us. It proceeds from God's heart of unconditional love. And that's why our salvation is assured. Our standing before God is based on Christ, not on us. That's why it can never change, because Christ has already sacrificed Himself. It is finished. That's the uniqueness of our Christian faith that makes Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. I will preach a sermon series on this topic of saving faith during Advent. So more on this later, but for now, many people believe Christian faith is about behaving properly or being blessed with prosperity in exchange for right behavior and beliefs. That's not what our faith is about. Because that's what the Pharisees believed, and they were the enemies of Jesus. Our faith is about the unconditional love of God shown on the cross. That's the gospel. But I'm afraid the gospel is misunderstood today. I am afraid for the credibility of church and Christian faith in the days to come. Ben Sass is a prominent Republican senator, not left-wing media, not a Democrat, a Republican senator from Nebraska, a completely solid red state. He said on tape, just a few weeks ago, he said, Mr. Trump mocks evangelicals behind closed doors. His family has treated 
the presidency like a business opportunity. He has flirted with white supremacists. What the heck were any of us thinking that selling a TV-obsessed, narcissistic individual to the American people was a good idea? This is from a Republican senator from Nebraska. And his worry for the Republican Party can be applied to Christian reputation just as easily. Because the overwhelming majority of white evangelical Christians support Trump. Not even George Bush, a born-again evangelical, got this kind of support. So in public perception, evangelical Christians made Trump happen. And that worries me. Many cite the abortion issue as the justification for Christians compromising their convictions in their voting. It is the single issue that overwhelms everything else for many. I have addressed that in my last sermon in detail. So please listen to that, but briefly for today. Please consider there's lots of studies that suggest abortion rate today is significantly lower than when abortion was illegal. Did you know Obama administration reduced abortion rates more than any other administration by providing proper support and education and health care to the vulnerable? Second best on record is Clinton administration. Isn't that ironic? It's the Democrats who actually reduced abortion. Please remember the prohibition. AA has been much better at effectively reducing alcoholism than banning it. Likewise, what will be effective in reducing abortion is more support to the mothers. And the Democratic Party is much more supportive than the Republican Party. That's why the actual data on abortion rates is the way it is. And overturning Roe v. Wade will not reduce abortion meaningfully because already 90% of American counties have no abortion clinics. People can just as easily drive to a blue state. So if this is a big moral issue for you, please listen to my sermon on abortion. It should not be the single issue that overwhelms everything else. We are now two days away from election. We all should vote according to our conscience, for our faith, and I cannot tell you who to vote for, but in the 60-minute interview this past week, Biden talked about who we are as a nation. He said that America is founded on the ideal that all human beings are created equal, but the reality has never matched that ideal, he said. That is a sign of maturity. Acknowledging our problems is the first step towards healing. It would be so great if America can get back on track to being the city set on a hill, a light to the nations, an example to follow rather than to be mocked and derided by the world. Election is in two days. Please vote with your conscience, for your faith. God is on the move in America and the world to bring unconditional love, equality to all human beings. God's truth marches on. And so let us work together for the kingdom of God to come nearer on earth. May God bless America. Well, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, so please join us on our Zoom Sunday discussion at 11.45.
or in our weekly Zoom groups. I myself lead one on Wednesday evenings at 8. Hope to see you soon. Bye. God bless. Thank you.